to Popscreen, a new podcast from the Geek Show Podcast Network dealing with the good, the bad and the preposterous of movies starring about or by pop stars. No, the podcast covers such a range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western to hip-hop, from documentaries to science fiction. I'm Graham Williamson, a film critic for the Geek Show and Horrified.com, and I've been joined this week by... Hiya, I'm Sarah Hayton and I write and uh, direct films. Yes. Now, let us take you back to 2015 when Jessica Presler, a writer for New York magazine, wrote an article called The Hustlers at Scores, classic criminal risal and fall yarn about a group of strippers who stole from their rich Wall Street clients and lived like queens before the law caught up with them. From this humble origin, a chain of consequence began that resulted in me spending most of autumn 2019 saying to people, no, the J-Lo strip club movie is actually really good. And it is. And so is the Cardi B strip club movie and the Lizzo strip club movie and the Usher strip club movie because they are the same movie. That movie is Hustlers by Lorraine Scafaria and it's the subject of this week's pop screen. So, uh, we've both seen this before, haven't we? Yes, yeah. Um, was it 2019 when it came out? It was 300 years ago. Yes, 2019. About then, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I went in thinking, oh God, I have to sit through a J-Lo movie. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I was really impressed at the time because... Um, the other good J-Lo movie is Out of Sight, but since then I think she's either been missteered or miscast or mm. or it's not um, it's not been particular. I don't think it's worked out critically very well for her. Mm. Um, but I was very surprised with this because um, she I think she inhabits the kind of Jenny from the Block character um, quite well, um, being a kind of den mother to. Um, a bunch of pole dancers and she's the she's a bit older she's more experienced but she still looks gorgeous um and has all the moves on the pole and uh, knows the sort of tips and tricks to um enhance the income that she can get on an evening uh, of pole dancing and private dancing she encapsulates um, that Jenny from the block persona rather more successfully than she did when she was trying to persuade us that that was who she actually was, really, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I think um, towards the end there's a very there's a sort of slow-mo shot where she goes to a bank machine and she's got the hood on and you can see some hair sort of flapping at one side. Yes. And, it's shot taken from behind, and that that sort of reminded me of, of that particularly. I thought that was very Jenny from the Block, very J Lo singing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. Because should we should, should we maybe set up for any listeners who were unaware where that kind of reputation comes from? Because you mentioned Out of Sight, and that was yeah. that was kind of the pinnacle of a run of, of early films, which had a pegged as one to watch. You know, she was in uh, Blood and Wine with Jack Nicholson. She was in U-Turn, which is not a good movie, but it's an Oliver Stone movie back when that meant something. And, you know, everything seemed to be going very well for her. And then she's in Out of Sight. She's starring with George Clooney. They are yeah. such a great screen couple in that. 
Yeah, fabulous. And also the the direction of that movie uh, produced us a, a few notable sequences that we hadn't really seen before. In particular, there was a scene where they were getting ready to sleep together for the first time. And um, y- the visuals are about that sort of undressing and preparing. Mm-hmm. But the audio is of them talking bef- beforehand in a bar um, or at the restaurant or wherever they are. I can't remember. Um, and the the mismatch, the sort of mix match of that um, just produced something new, like a completely new feeling. And like we were seeing what they wanted to be doing, but they were still sort of in the early... Uh, mm. stages of it so that was a that was a good thing was that um what you call him steven soderbergh it was yes yeah it was That's steven so... soderbergh after he'd kind of burned through his sex lies and videotape cred uh he'd yeah. done some hollywood things that hadn't worked out and he was operating basically with nothing to lose and it was a massive comeback for him mm. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a fantastic movie. There's so much great stuff in Out of Sight, but after mm. that, I mean, she did two things that were kind of perplexing. The the biggest one, and the one that brings us here today, is that she decided to start a music career. Mm. Yeah, and I've not been particularly a fan of hers. I sort of she's on the fringes of the things that I listen to, so I don't I don't listen to her very much. How about yourself? Not really, no. I remember vividly when she sort of released her first album on the 6th, which was in 1999, one of the most dismal years for pop music on record. (laughs) Um, And it it caused like a flurry of think pieces about, you know, her being Latino and her having a bottom, which was a a big thing back in the late 90s. No (laughs) one had dared to have a bottom beforehand. Yeah, um, no, she definitely uh, put her her bottom her, put her bottom out there in the in the community. She really came to us bottom forward. Yes. <laughs> um, so all this was going on, and it was it, it was kind of culturally interesting, but the music just wasn't good. I thought. No, I wasn't. No, that's exactly why I wasn't particularly into it. Um, I it was okay, but it was more sort of middle of the road type stuff. So I wasn't that. There wasn't yeah. any particular hook for me. Yeah, it, it felt to me like a bit of a waste of this time spent discussing like Latin music in the mm. context of something that just sounds like any other R&B song on the radio, really. Yeah, exactly. It felt like, um, you know, maybe they were the songs produced by like Janet Jackson had she gone down a very different path. And Jennifer Lopez began her career uh, in the video for That's the Way Love Goes by Janet Jackson. So, Well, how interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. The other thing she did immediately after Out of Sight was she had an interview with Movie Line, which was deranged. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I read it again because it, it still circulates on the internet as, as one of the most sort of unwise PR moves that a celebrity has ever had. Um, Some of it has aged quite well, and she is very vociferous at calling out sexism in Hollywood. There's a lovely line where she's asked what every woman should carry, and she says, mace. (laughs) But some of it is, is really, really abrasive, and it started this narrative 
which she fought against ever since of Jennifer Lopez as this really arrogant, out-of-touch diva. Mm. Basically everything she released for about five years after that, in music and in movies, was an attempt at damage control, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. So that was things like um, Made in Manhattan? Yeah, yeah, Made in Manhattan with Ray Fiennes. Which was unbelievably bland yes um, it was very much a bomb steer um and how i don't know how ray fines got in there that was a weird sort of position as well it's so weird because normally ray fines doing comedy is one of the great joys of my life but that is not good <laughs> that's not good no, it's just too middle of the road it's i think they've gone for the the sort of um, widest audience appeal. Mm. Um, they want to get women back on board. Um, so they've taken out any sort of, I don't know, interest or it's very standard camera work. It's very sort of standard scripting. Um, yeah. Nothing unusual would happen outside of the context of a rom-com. I, it barely meets the three-star criteria. It's as grey as one of her uniforms. Yeah, yeah. She's doing she's doing things like that. She's doing do you remember enough the domestic violence thriller she was in? No, I don't. I mean, one, good for you. Uh, because it's not a good <laughs> film. But also I, I found that interesting because that was like in about two thousand and one, two thousand and two. And it right. already felt like just, you just watch it and you thought putting Jennifer Lopez in overalls is not making me buy her as a sort of downtrodden working class woman. No, I totally agree. And then when I was watching, uh, funnily enough, that was one of the things that occurred to me when I was watching uh, Hustlers this time. The fact that there's no time during which she makes herself look bad. Mm. Um, it's like she's working very closely with the director to make sure the light's correct and you know she um, can only ever look sort of devil may care and I, I haven't seen that film that you're talking about but it sounds like it would sound like it would be really a tough watch with somebody else but with her she <laughs> it, might it still a, it was a tough watch with Jennifer Lopez let me tell you that but not for that reason yes <laughs> yeah. I understand um, and uh, so I, I, I get the impression I haven't seen it but correct me if I'm wrong that when she's on camera and it's about domestic violence is it did you say yeah yeah okay so um, if she gets on camera she might have a slight graze here or a slight bruise but otherwise she's perfectly made up and the hair is perfect as well I don't know I it, it has been a while since I watched it I remember there is definitely an effort to frizz up her hair a bit but it, it felt <laughs> wow. It felt Those very nightmare cosmetic. years when she wasn't physically able to use a straightener. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the script she signed on to. The domestic violence subplot came in redrafts. It was mostly about one woman's quest to find a straightener. <laughs> oh, I feel her struggle. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny in Hustlers, though, because I think that sort of air of falseness that has followed her around is mm. kind of good for Ramona. It, it makes that character make sense in a strange way. 
yeah because she does put on certain characters you would have to do that during the evening because she's a mother but on the pole she's just this supposed to be a very sex goddess type um empowered woman mm. um and those two do not match they cannot be blended i don't think it's just physically impossible for hollywood to associate those two things um and to be able to put a face on like a professional face on what she has to do day in day out in the private booths and so on i think Mm. that i think that would lend itself to that as well but she's not the person obviously (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's not the person who we encounter that world through the eyes of though isn't it it's constance Wu who is really on the journey here yeah she's the new entrant into the whole world of the pole dancing and she's uh, very sweet sort of naive character who comes in and is taken under the wing of uh, Jennifer Lopez and um, immediately like on the same evening practically they they share a cigarette on the roof and Mm. um, and it's snowing and it's cold up there or whatever I think I might be mixing it up with right here right now where it's snowing here (laughs) I'm confusing the film with reality And she sort of tucks her under her giant fur coat and just like, oh, I'll be your, you know, your buddy. Um, Mm. Which was quite sort of quick and, you know, I don't know. That sort of felt a bit fake. But then again, I don't know what it's like to be a pole dancer. Maybe you do mesh very quickly with others in a dangerous, potentially dangerous situation. I'm not sure. I think, yeah, maybe there is something about that because obviously uh, as a 90s kid, my main association with the the idea of a strip club movie just makes me go into the duck and cover position because the two, like, (laughs) defining... Elizabeth Berkeley. Elizabeth Berkeley in Showgirls, Demi Moore in Striptease. <laughs> there was a point in the 90s where Hollywood would just not stop making strip club movies and every single one of them was a career killer. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Did it Did it do... Dem- I mean, I know they took the mick out of um, Demi Moore at the time, but did it harm her career? I think that was because uh, that was the same year she came out with the Scarlet Letter as well, which is an insane film, like genuinely not the work of a well director. Um, and <laughs> and I think maybe she could have survived striptease if it didn't have that back to back. But after that, uh, I don't know why I remember Demi Moore movies with like year precision, but it was striptease <laughs> and the Scarlet Letter one year, G.I. Jane the next year, and everyone just felt absolutely beaten down by Demi Moore after that. Everyone was completely sick of her. <laughs> right, okay. But yeah, um, so the the only... I hear good things about Exotica by Atomigoyan, but I've never seen an Atomigoyan film, so I can't comment. But there was a film that was released around the same time called Dancing at the Blue Iguana, which is another strip club movie, and which is also not good, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> but Davil Hannah was in that, and she made a short documentary about the strip club that she used for research that she went backstage at to try and get 
some sense of what that life was like. And I remember watching that and thinking that was really interesting, that there was a real sense of camaraderie between the women, and it did have this sense of the backstage areas being kind of this little female oasis you know, mm. building that is geared towards male interest. And I felt mm. that came over very strongly in Hustlers. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's very true. Um, they all had each other's back and Lizzo got to sort of bring a flute out. But also, um, did you find it a little gratuitous? The flute? No. <laughs> <laughs> Gratuitous flute usage. That is my main objection to this film. No, um, it, yeah, the backstage area. It was. It was a lovely, and it was a. It was supposed to be a lovely, safe um, space for women. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was always going to be some gratuitous boobs in the background, um, and uh, just it felt like this time when I was watching it. Um, actually, this is a large chunk of celluloid of whatever devoted to female flesh and Mm. um and i know it's you know we want to set up the story but there was such a lot of it it's like when all of a sudden halfway through a murder mystery the lead the lead role decides to demonstrate his clarinet because he also can play the clarinet and it has nothing to do with anything but it's just, it seems like it goes on for the length of a song and it's not necessary to things. Um, that was the feeling that I got, that it was just extraneous, that you didn't need it for so long. Um, obviously, it's pole dancing. You are going to get flesh. You are going to get explicit, mm. more explicit shots. But it just felt too long. And I can only assume that was due to... Um, Maybe the female audience wanting to go and see Jennifer Lopez dragging the boyfriend along and putting something in there for his interest. Yeah. That's what I gathered. Well, two things. Firstly, I would absolutely watch your version of Poirot. Uh... <laughs> it was diagnosis murder, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I think with something like this, you're in a kind of a rock and a hard place situation where... Yeah. If you have loads of nudity on in it, you're just making showgirls again and no one wants you to make showgirls again. Uh, if you have none whatsoever, then it's a very unconvincing, sanitised look at the situation. That's what true. I found striking, particularly compared to those 90s strip club movies, which were all male-directed and all, as I say, terrible. Yeah. Um, mm. What I got was the sense of a female gaze as something that isn't prioritizing nudity it's like people think that taking the male gaze out of a story like this means that everyone is wearing cardigans buttoned up to the neck and it's like (laughs) that you know don't don't get me wrong that that was something i appreciated in greta gerwig's little women but um it's what cardigans (laughs) <laughs> yes, more cardigans. But here it's like, I, I liked that it was matter-of-fact enough to have nudity, but also that nudity is mostly just cycling through the background of a scene. It's not framed as a central point of the shot. It's not something that I felt was there for longer than it took to establish what these people do. And I mean, that Jennifer Lopez pole dance scene at the start 
while yes it does have serious your boyfriend's been dragged to this and he's going to get something out of this energy we are also seeing that through the eyes of uh dorothy constance, constance Wu. Wu character mm. and all she's seeing is how Im- physically impressive this is so i yeah. think it, it walks that line really well i think I, I can, like, like I was saying before, it, it does, I felt you do need it. And like you say, you can't have the women covered up and you have to give a sense of atmosphere for this. But I I just felt it went on longer than needed. And mm. the, the bit where she's demonstrating with um, Constance, well, fair enough, that's very much, I would say that was necessary. It's more the changing room aspect of it where you just get, it's the same woman going in the background. No, she's she's got her boobs out again. Okay. <laughs> and it's not needed. It, okay, that would be the reality of that space. Probably there would be boobage. But, um, you know, for the sake of, like, you know, not, not just exposing women to, like, exposing the flesh of women, just, you know, give them another costume or something. It's... Mm it felt too long and it felt a bit gratuitous to two female viewers that sequence at the start where they are backstage and it does have that air of camaraderie is also the only one which has two of the pop stars that we're talking about in it's the only bit with cardi and it's the only bit with lizzo lizzo Mm. how how did that work for you um, well, it was nice to see them. I love mm. Lizzo. Um, Cardi B, I'm sort of, I don't mind her. Um, and I like her music, but I don't think I sort of understand her as well as Lizzo. I like, I Lizzo comes across as a lot warmer. Mm. Um, but um, I guess, again, that's sort of trying to place jennifer lopez within that hip-hop context maybe you've got yeah you've got cardi b and sort of it's like on the nike instagram account you would get you know pictures of hugely successful sports stars but you also get kendrick lamar because that's their brand yeah so yeah, I get that. And trying to be put in a sort of more hip hop context has been a problem for Jennifer Lopez in the past because <laughs> exactly th- this she was gets like a, a, you know sort of <laughs> approval from Usher. So <laughs> well, this was quite. I, I only found this out when researching it, but there was quite a controversy about her that um, she was one of a number of kind of. I guess turn of the millennium singers, I guess this is before auto-tune made this irrelevant, but a number of singers from that era who would get songwriters to sort of sing a guide vocal and then, oh, whoops, quite a bit of that ended up on the track, I guess. Um, (laughs) Which caused a problem when on one of the remixes for I'm Real, uh, she had a ghost vocal from Ashanti. And there's... There's the N word in it, and that was Whoa. quite that was quite controversial. And of course, the only way you can get out of that is by saying, "Oh, it's okay, guys. A black woman sung this, not me." Uh, but <laughs> she was unwilling to do that for some reason. Oh, Jeez, unbelievable! <laughs> oh, Hennifer Hopez, you've gone wrong somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> 
But that those things are interesting to me because if you were asking me to cast this, like I would have said that the early scenes where you need that kind of close knit community would be the ones that you should cast with full time actors. That should be the one with Lily Reinhardt and Kiki Palmer and all these people in it. And the later mm. scenes where it's more people coming on and doing a turn, yeah, you can get Lizzo and Cardi and some other bits of stunt casting, but the fact that those scenes feel like such a weird jumble of people you don't expect to see together actually makes it gel in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it comes across really nicely. It's a nice, warm scene. It, it does seem to work. Mm-hmm. Sorry, can you pick that up on your microphone? I can, can it'll be that? fine. I will listen as love you dogs. Sure? <laughs> yeah, okay, just, to, just as well. That's our John and our Ted, so... Bit of local <laughs> colour. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it does come across as a nicely warm scene and there's something about the cramped conditions as well which is going to sort of mm. uh, boost that temperature. Um, and I, I quite liked... I didn't feel and the, the early scenes needed um, actors exclusively, so for me it did work okay. Um, yeah. I think... It appreci- I'd appreciate the the number of different sort of life journeys that anybody in that room would be from. I think um, that's a good point. Yeah. So. Yeah. It. Yeah. It does give you that sensibility because I mean, Cardi's background gets her into trouble quite often. Um, yeah. 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 But you sort of take that... Which fits with her persona. Exactly, yes. Her first line in this movie is, back off, bitch, said as she grabs Constance Wu by the hair and pulls her away from a client. Um, She said it was inspired by a a woman she worked with at a strip club. Um, That woman was presumably Cardi B. Cardi B, I believe, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But Lizzo's always like, oh, yeah, so just ushers in the house. And yeah. just like, she seems excitable and like bubbly and warm and friendly. So the the anti Cardi B, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. Hello. You know, I, I love both equally. I was a very big Lizzo fan when I saw this for the first time. Uh, yeah. And I still am. But I have grown more towards Cardi. I think she is. Yeah. She is such a, a messy person that I find it quite endearing, really. <laughs> Have you seen that? I like her interesting non-verbals. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the human <laughs> soundboard. <Uh-oh>. Yes. <laughs> Have you seen that Facebook series she does? There's a, Cardi a, B? Yeah. No. There's like a series on Facebook Live uh, called Cardi Tries, which is sort of like... <laughs> What if Louis Theroux's Weird Weekends, but instead of Louis Theroux, it's a human wrecking ball? Um, (laughs) I might have heard something. I might have heard a version of that. Was it Cardi B, though? Was was there other sort of hip-hop stars doing that? Maybe there is, but I've I've seen Cardi do it, and it's great. The ballet class is just spectacular. It's so good. (laughs) So... Uh, from here, from this kind of very warm starting point, everything seems mm. to be going very well. 
uh, Dorothy, the Constance Wu character, moves on from the club very early on, goes to work somewhere else, and then the financial crash. Yeah, 2008 financial crash hits. Everybody's affected, including um, pole dancing clubs. Hmm. Um, and also there's a sense of time moving on anyway and the dancers ageing. And that's that's sort of put on Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez quite cruelly at one point. Hmm. Um, so they sort of have to find a way through. And it feels like there's a, 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 there's some desperate circumstance about it like there's somebody who needs to escape a violent relationship and afford that there's somebody who's taking care of her grandmother and to afford that and then there's children involved by this time as well um not pole dancing um it's children of the dancers hmm. and um so there's other considerations sort of forcing them into a bit of a corner where I mean, for my money, I'd join a temp agency maybe and get some office work. <laughs> but that doesn't occur to Lopez. Um, she decides to lure um, the men from Wall Street, and that is the specific named target, men from Wall Street, hedge fund managers, uh, into the back or into bars um, for private uh, dances and for... Um, drinks parties Mm. and then spike their drinks um and obviously the consequences of that are um they're able to run up huge uh, bills on the credit card but of course the guys don't want to uh, admit it or take it to the police because they would have to admit that they were entertaining various ladies yes um, uh, at the time there is a fantastic line in it where Ramona, the Jennifer Lopez character, is trying to get Dorothy on board and she uh, explains the aftermath of the financial crashes. That's what's paying for their blowjobs, the fucking firefighters retirement fund, which is such a great line. It's a nice juxtaposition, very nice juxtaposition. And uh, doesn't Lorraine Scafaria write it as well? Yes, yes, she as does. Well as direct, I thought she did. We should talk um, a bit so about her actually line. at this point because she is a fascinating sure. figure. I think mm. I'd I'd seen uh, I hadn't seen the Meddler. I always meant to watch the Meddler because it's got loads of wonderful people in. I'd seen mm. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, which I think. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, I always thought. You know when people like give you old box office charts, like the top 10 of the year for 1980-whatever, and in the top mm-hmm. 10 there's the Bridges and Madison County or something, and they say, <laughs> like, uh, then put it next to, like, 2015, and it's just all superhero movies all the way down. Yeah. I think if we still lived in that world where, like... A, a movie aimed at women, particularly older women, based on an original screenplay, could be in the yearly box office top ten. We would treat Lorenz Scafaria like a god because she does these <laughs> movies so well. Oh wow! Oh fabulous! So apart from seeking a friend, what what other things has she done? I've not seen the one you mentioned, The Meddler. Mm, I keep meaning to see the meddler. Uh, she had a writer's credit only on Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Rather, God, I've seen that as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I did it on DVD. Bloody hell! 
it's quite it's quite weird because she's I think the problem with Senior Friend for the End of the World and Nick and Nova's Infinite Playlist, apart from their titles being too long, obviously, um, <laughs> is that they are both seeking a twist on a kind of romantic comedy genre that I feel like she yeah. wants to just write them rather than write them with a twist. But there's enough yeah. witty dialogue and good characterization in there to, like, a Yamaka for me. Yeah, I, I seem to remember thinking they were not your standard Hollywood fare, a bit indie, a mm. bit sort of, you know, a view askew type thing, like a bit askance. Yeah. Um, and quite enjoyable for that. Like, no big sort of Hollywood set pieces or anything, and um, just enjoyable to see a, a relationship developing. Mm. And when I saw the trailer for Hustlers and when I saw it was her, part of me thought, ah, is this just a sellout, you know? Mm. Yeah, and I don't don't know whether it... I don't know how successful that has been because it is big name, pretty big name um, cast. Um, You do have big guest stars. um, And it is a headline-grabbing... sequence of events based on a true story that presumably had headlines at the time i mean so you've got commercially high profile yeah yeah commercially it did film. really well mm. yeah Be- <laughs> i mean i hate to say why <laughs> <laughs> because you got women on the pole for like two hours or something come on man um i think uh i think she does still have some of that I don't know how much the dialogue is very sparky. I think it's not as... I don't think it's as uh, personally meaningful to me as those two previous films. I think it's... That was kind of understated, and this is much more broad. I think it's less screwball sparky, but there are still uh, lots of really quotable lines. For some reason, I I was, like, absolutely Mm. magnetised by the bit where Jennifer Lopez is going through her dresses, and she says... These are epaulettes. That's French for little shoulders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. But Lopez is not great at comedy. I think she really struggles with it. I think she'd have to be um, sort of taken through it stage by stage because she's not a natural comedian. And when you see her in uh, sitcoms, um, I think that's a bit of a struggle because she comes across as too serious for that. Um, It's like when Christopher Eccleston has to do anything other than angst. He kind of struggles with that. And and I know he's done Doctor Who and Doctor Who has to be kind of jolly sometimes, but I'm looking at his face and he's doing jolly and he's Doctor Who, but I am not convinced. All I can see is angst. (laughs) It's like getting Roger Rees to play Doctor Who. It just wouldn't be convincing. So yes, it's not her strong I guess. comedy. Yeah. No, it's really not. <laughs> no. Um, and I think also she doesn't want. To, I feel like she doesn't want to be associated with comedy. I feel like she wants to be taken seriously. So that's, you know, that would be a deliberate, maybe a deliberate move on her part, not to have that, not to risk that. I see what you mean about Lopez having a tin ear for comedy. I think it's not as problematic here because it's not aiming to be a kind of relatable comedy like if Ramona doesn't appear to be in on the joke that's fine because the character wouldn't be yeah 
Um, I'm trying to think who would maybe play it better for comedy. Um, maybe somebody, um, one of the SNL cast members. I don't know, but um, but yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be relevant. You're quite right. It's it isn't a comedy, although it is treated quite lightly. Hollywood version of pole dancing, strippers, prostitutes in general. Um, they they still aren't like they. I don't think I don't think that they're ever gonna portray things as they are. Um, we when I watched it this time, I watched it um, with a former social worker, who obviously has had lots of experience mm. with uh, women in that life circumstance um, who are reduced to. Uh, stripping or doing uh, having sexual work for money working in the sex industry and um, everything that surrounds that that Hollywood had cleaned up for this movie just isn't present like the drugs um, you don't see the bruises the cuts you don't see the damaged children you don't see um, the um, impoverished living the real struggle to make money um, the reason that Lopez and, and et al go after the money is because they've um, reached a certain lifestyle and they want to maintain it. It's like, you know, if the rest of us um, had to uh, I'd suddenly if I'd suddenly lost my job as um, mm. as a highly paid person, um, I would like I say, I'd go, I'd go join a temp agency or I'd get bar work or something just to tide me over. But I would, I would get what was available and I would downsize. I wouldn't insist on maintaining my furs and bling like they do. I think it's a bit unrealistic. And there is tokenist nods to the sick grandma and, you know, the, the children. But the children are fine, perfectly well-adjusted, doing well in college, not exhibiting any bad behaviour. And the the resources that are available to these women don't feel like real. Um, and I know it's not a documentary; it is a Hollywood film. But it, I think there must come a point where you feel like it's too sanitized. As an example, I was watching Irma Laduce this week. Funnily enough, and it's a Billy Wilder film. It stars um, uh, Jack Lemmon and um, oh, what's her name? Warren Beatty's sister, Shirley MacLaine, and she's perfectly charming in the role. And it's based on a French play um, made, written previously, and it's a film from 1962. And she stars as a prostitute on the streets of Paris, and you have a narrow back street in Paris that's populated by girls in standing in doorways, looking quite pretty <laughs> um, and not damaged in any way, all of a similar age, all with nice makeup and clothes. Um, and very much um, costumed, very much made up, very much hairdressed. Um, and that was 1962. And then you've got Pretty Woman in the 80s. And I feel like it's hardly moved on. It's moved on a little bit because, you know, it's still very old fashioned as a film, Irma La Douce. And I don't, I'm sort of torn because I appreciate that Hollywood doesn't want to show you that seamy side of things because that doesn't earn the box office. Um, they want to, you know, make, you know, bright, colourful, beautifully lit, nicely made up people. Um, but at the same time, 
lots of women's lives have been damaged by this and this film was hailed as a massive sorry by sex work and this film was hailed as a massive feminist movie because it's written by a woman directed by a woman stars majority women um original story featured a and who committed the crime um who actually subsequently went on to accuse lorraine stafaria safari Scafaria of stealing um, her story and exploiting it without paying her enough, um, and it's it's women being exploited, and you just get the impression that Hollywood has further exploited the women involved. They've made massive money out of this, and then the women that it's based on, where are they now? What are they doing? Yeah, I don't know, and. I mean, the ethical quandary over making it was always purely, in that sense, kind of funny to me because this came out at almost exactly the same time that Martin Scorsese released The Irishman. And I don't remember all of those complaints about glamorising crime about The Irishman, but, you know, Scorsese's Mm. an American institution and those are men. But I think... You've put your finger on something that kind of bothers me, not with the movie or even like movies about this, uh, movies like this, but the way they are marketed. When something is marketed as being a great leap forward for feminism, but you also want credit for portraying sort of unsympathetic or flawed female characters, and you think, okay, well, if they're unsympathetic or flawed they're going to do some things that you don't want to co-sign. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's. I'm finding this with seeing all the press about Promising Young Woman, where as soon as you say that film like this is feminist, you invite yeah. people to say, oh, well, what about this bit where she did a bad thing? How's that feminist? And, <laughs> like, yeah, it's the same as Not Every Man, the hashtag Not Every Man, um, and the response, hashtag Not Every Woman. So it's um, it in any case like that, it's it's territory that's being fought over. So you've got this um, like the Wild mm. West type idea and the territory of Hollywood and um, what pays, what works, what brings the income, the men in charge, the men in charge of everything. Um, and to to cede any territory it involves a man losing territory and then they're, they're just going to fight tooth tooth and nail to have that um to have to keep on to that power hold on to that power hence harvey weinstein harvey weinstein being able to get away with so much for so long mm. but i think in terms of what you said earlier about the sort of bleakness of the situation for all that it's not you know, the the Ken Loach version of this movie, I think it does actually get <laughs> some of that across because it it has to sort of focus on the camaraderie at the start, otherwise you don't really understand what Dorothy's finding here. When she comes back after the financial crash, that is a really chilling moment. She comes back and suddenly the whole place is... Like, it has no atmosphere. It's full of these obviously trafficked Russian women who were very sort of defensive. You know, Mercedes Ruel, as the den mother says, look, I'm working behind the bar. The cameras in the champagne rooms are turned off. Anything goes now. And I think it 
does manage to get that across in a way that refocuses it on the economic dimension of things. It says that, you know, this isn't bad because taking your clothes off is bad. This is bad because poverty and desperation are bad, which is the right way to look at it, I think. Yeah, but there again, they take the Greek approach to it, so it happens off screen, so you you don't see much about that. Hmm. Which I was happy I don't with. Think, I didn't like, want to see Dorothy. Yeah, and no, nobody wants to see that, and it's not that kind of film. Like what I was saying, it's mm. it's it's a, a, a you know a sort of crime light. It's good that women got away with this crime, but only for a time, and then they were nabbed. Um, so, you know, I don't know how feminist that is. I, I, it's nice that they sort of tried to grab a bit of power, but ultimately it didn't succeed. Um, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think to close out, perhaps we should we should do a quiz because when we were on literary loitering, we did a lot of quizzes and we've never done one on pop screen before. <laughs> So, this is the Jennifer Lopez movie line quiz, where I am going to read out one of the very ill-advised things she said about one of her contemporaries, <laughs> one of her fellow actresses from the late 90s, and give you three choices as to who she said it about, and you have to guess which one oh, she said it about. Okay. Okay, number one. <laughs> I feel like I see a lot of the same thing with every character she does. Did Jennifer Lopez say that about Renee Zellweger, Gretchen Moll, or Claire Danes? Oh, uh, Zellweger? Uh, no, that was Claire Danes. Uh, that was my second guess. <laughs> Second one, we're in two different realms. She's a sexy bombshell, and those are the kind of roles that she does. Was that A, Halle Berry, B, Salma Hayek, or C, Charlie's Theron? Um, I think Salma Hayek, because this was earlier before she became more... You are correct. ...on the production side and more empowered. Hmm. Cool. I like Salma Hayek. I like Salma Hayek, yes. Anyone who's played Frida Kahlo is A-OK -okay by me. Yes. Number three. Tell me what she's been in. I swear to God, I don't remember anything she was in. Some people get hot by association. I heard more about her than Brad Pitt than I ever did about her work. Was that A. Jennifer Aniston... B, Gwyneth Paltrow, or C, Juliette Lewis? Oh, that's tricky, isn't it? I mean, my first instinct was uh, Jennifer Aniston. Hello, dog. Hello. Um, uh, so I think I'll probably go Jennifer Aniston. Because her films are quite... It's hard to bring one to mind. Hmm, true, true. Uh, it was, in fact, Gwyneth Paltrow, and I would like to thank yeah. the incredibly classy website whosedatedwho.com for helping me remember who <laughs> Brad Pitt has dated. 
in order to put this question together. <laughs> it uh, sounds an impressive website that is adjacent in, in tone to how tall is that Hollywood star? <laughs> yes, Rob's favourite celebrity height want. <laughs> Okay, penultimate question, number four. I was never a big fan of hers. In Hollywood, she's revered. She gets nominated for Oscars. But I've never heard anyone in the public or among my friends say, oh, I love her. Is that A, Winona Ryder, B, Kate Winslet, or C, Elizabeth Shue? I'd probably go for Kate Winslet because I think that was past the time of Elizabeth Shue. And also I've forgotten A. Uh, she actually said that about Winona Ryder. If she'd said it about Kate hey. Winslet, there would have been hell to pay from me. Let me just say that. <laughs> and finally... Do I think she's a great performer? Yeah. Do I think she's a great actress? No. Acting is what I do. So I'm harder on people when they say, oh, I can do that. I can act. I'm like, hey, don't spit on my craft. Right. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. <laughs> Meryl Streep. <laughs> a. Madonna. B. Share or C. Dame Eileen Atkins. <laughs> um, oh, well, I mean, the easy target is Madonna because she gets criticised about her acting constantly and she is a good performer. But I'm actually going to say Cher um, because I think um, Jennifer is wrong um, because obviously Cher is a great performer, but she's also um, been pretty good at acting at times so I, don't, I wouldn't take that away from her well it was in fact madonna just going to prove that this interview wasn't all off the mark <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but yes that was the jennifer lopez movie line interview quiz and that's been your lot from pop screen you can get a Patreon-exclusive episode by subscribing to our Patreon as every month, as well as a lot of other goodies from The Geek Show. But until next time, I've been Graham Williamson. And I'm Sarah Hayton. Bye.